1: Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, how do we create lifelong readers? It might seem obvious, but it starts with Books. Books are the heart and soul of teaching literacy and our tools to develop lifelong readers. So, how do we organize books across an entire school community to support student choice and instructional goals? In their new book, It's All About the Books How to Create Book Rooms and Classroom Libraries That Inspire Readers, authors Tammy Mulligan and Claire Landrigan say teachers can't meet the needs of a range of learners without a range of books. The authors demonstrate how to make the most out of what you have how to get what you need on any budget. They share photos, resources, book lists, and a step-by-step outline of the process. We began our conversation on the importance of access.
0: Books are the heart and soul of the classroom and of teaching literacy and so without books we don't have engagement and we don't have instructional
2: tools that we need each and every day. We spend a lot of time with teachers and schools and classrooms and districts and they're working so hard doing professional readings and learning and going to workshops and professional development and they have these visions of what they want to do and they're working so hard and then they don't have the materials they need to bring it to life and teachers are always doing their best to get what they can get but teaching so hard right now um, and the amount that's on their plates to do so the fact that they're trying to do it and they don't have the materials that they need it's just you can see how it's making it so hard for them professionally.
1: You also write a lot about the importance of access and, and also design and how design can kind of maximize that access. How do we do that? How do we maximize design for access?
0: Well, we think about in schools that we want lots of books in there, but if you think about the different grade levels, right, we want all children in every classroom every day to have books that they love. And if you think about access with kids, what kindergarten kids might read at the end of the year, first grade children might read in the beginning of the year. And so we think about, can we design something where our books are flexible, that the school's books move between classrooms so that when different children need different things and different teachers need different things, they can they can achieve that and find them.
2: Also thinking about flexibility of the design, even within the classroom, that sometimes we want to have everything set and have it look exactly the way we want, but for, for kids, we want things to also be exciting and new. When we walk into a bookstore, they often have different books showing and it gets us excited. When we design our classroom libraries in a way that we can shift things and move things around, we're finding that that makes it more accessible to kids. Also thinking about how we're housing them, their fingers are little, and sometimes when those spines are out, they can't get what they want easily yeah. <laughs> and they can't move things around. So putting things in baskets that can be moved around that mm-hmm. sort of organize things so that they fit together and make sense why they're together. Together, but there's still an openness to it where kids can explore and make choices as they're searching for things in a classroom.
1: Design for you both is a really important part of the book.
0: We've done book rooms and helped teachers with classroom libraries for years and pictures bring things to life and so we wanted people to be able to see and we wanted the opportunity to take people into lots of different classrooms and see all different ways to organize something and also into school book rooms and notice how different schools have brought this to life.
2: I think it's a privilege of ours to be in so many schools and to collaborate with so many teachers. And for us, I think about many things. We always say the why behind the decision is always what's so important. So the more we talk with teachers, the more we think about how we're designing them, that it's not just how it looks. We want the classroom library and the book to reflect how we teach. Thinking about whole class lessons, independent reading, small groups, and making sure there's options that are easily accessible and that we're designing the space so that kids know where to get what they need, but also teachers can easily access what they need and it matches the work they're trying to do. Because if it is our instructional tool, it's not just that it is a great book, but we also want it to be a great book for what we're trying to introduce or to bridge our students and their experiences.
1: You mentioned you know how much you're in schools, and you are in schools a lot. And a theme throughout the book, as you bring this up many times, an important piece of information that you always give an administrator when they say, "What can I do to sort of maximize what we're doing in the school after your visit or during your visit?" And what is your response? You have a very specific response that I love.
2: We do. We do. Right? It's not a great marketing.
1: No. Well,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good marketing tool for ourselves, but we say we think you should fire
2: us and buy some books.
1: And why is that?
2: Because the truth of the matter is, we could do the best professional development in the world. We could have teachers who are as engaged, but if they don't have the tools to do what they're hiring us to teach, it's just not going to work, right? It's, it's not going to be enough. And we've yet to meet a school, really any school, no, regardless, right. that have the number of books to pull this off. And it's never in a budget line when we first meet people. It's teachers are using their own funds, or they're begging, borrowing, stealing, sharing, being as creative as they can be to get what they can get. And it just doesn't seem right. We budget for everything else in a classroom, but we're not budgeting for books.
1: So let's get into the budget a bit because that's a really important part of what you spend time on in the book. You talk a lot about what we can do if we have no budget, what we can do if we do have a budget, and what we can do with the things that we already have. So help get that conversation started. Where do we start? Because it can kind of be overwhelming for anybody when they're kind of looking at that and going, what do I do?
0: it can be overwhelming, and we've been in places where we've taken too much on right away to do something. So we never say, take all the books off the shelves, right? We only organize a little bit at a time. But our first step is really figuring out, what do we have here? And often in schools, there's books in closets and cubbies and tucked away in different places. And we first want to say, like, what do we have? And what do kids love to read that we already are using? We see lots of sets of books that, you know, sometimes have dust on them because no one's reading them anymore. Or sometimes it's just we forgot about that book. So we We first want to say, hey, what's here and how can we reorganize this to get these books into kids' hands and into teachers' hands when they need them?
2: We're seeing a lot of books um, in schools, as Tammy's saying, with dust on them that aren't being used. And we think sometimes it's the way they're being packaged. They're in Ziploc bags with a rubber band around them and six packs. And so it just, the amount of time it takes to go and get those books and bring them in your classroom and bring them back. We think we need some of our books organized that way, but some of our books would be better utilized if we took them out of the bags and put them in a way that kids can also access them more easily. So thinking about what we have and also how they're organized and if there's a way to get sort of more bang for your buck just with what you already have, because we want to sort of see sometimes we have too much of one thing and not enough of something else and Mm -hmm. you can't really get a sense of that until until you take some time just to inventory
0: there may be a book that teachers love for small group instruction or whole class instruction it's perfect for book clubs and then there's other books in those six-pack sets that aren't being used as regularly and boy those would be perfect for independent reading and we could break that up and then lots of kids could be reading that book we want to just think about what are we what do we have but also who's using it and why are you know how are
2: we using it in the classroom
1: so and as we evolve from that let's say So the person who has a very small budget, how should they approach that?
2: So in some districts where they don't have a large budget to start, we've seen people start to share among themselves, which I know sometimes is a little bit hard Um, to take your things and share them. But even within a classroom team, starting to see what we all have and starting to organize them and rotate with what they have so that if I have a small library and Tammy has a small library, but we share, all of a sudden we've doubled what we've had. So that's sometimes a first step um, for schools is that they start to share among teams or just start to share with what they have with Mm -hmm. each other.
0: And if you think even cross grade, again, what one teacher has at the end of the year, uses at the end of the year, the next teacher could use at the beginning of the year. So can we do a little bit of sharing in that way as well? We can also branch out and broaden our libraries.
1: You also talk about why it's important to involve a student or the students in the organizational process. Why is that so important?
0: Well, they are the people who are to, the children who are going to be using those books. And so when they touch those books and they start to organize them, number one, they see what books they want to read. And number two, they know where they are then. And it's really interesting as we watch and listen as kids sort books, boy, do you learn a lot about what they love, what they think about when they choose a book, and, and how they might find those. So we find when kids start to be part of the organizing, the ownership of the classroom and the classroom library really changes.
2: Also, as a teacher, instructionally, we think it's some of the best formative data that you can collect. Mm -hmm. Just take a step back and listen to kids as they think about how they would group books, how they would put books together, how they would assume a title would fit with another title that we might not see. Mm -hmm. They're starting to see themes in ways that we don't see or how characters fit together in ways that we wouldn't predict. And then places where we can actually bridge them. We're noticing something and we think, huh, I wonder if we were to now show them something else, how could we begin to expand the way they think about things? So it also, it's not just like making them part of that community, it also gives us such great instructional information authentically to teach with.
1: So in that process, ideally, we would see a student's interest grow as perhaps their identity is growing as a reader. So how do we bring more books into the collection while honoring that growth of the student? How do we balance that out, but also at the same time trying to bounce out any you know instructional needs that we have as well?
0: You know, we used to put out all the books that we had right in the beginning <laughs> in the classroom library. And now we think about well, which books are appropriate for this time of year. And we talk about a lot about how do we get those books, how do we kind of keep some books back so that we can rotate and refresh and keep our library fresh and new for kids. So we keep some back and think about and sort of plan out our baskets in the year. And then we can change whenever we need to.
2: Think a lot about books as bridges and really thinking about how do we plan our journey of the year and opportunities to bridge kids from a place of comfort, which we love and reading should feel that way, but we also want to bridge them to learn something new or experience something different and when we can figure out where they are. Books can be a bridge. You have someone who loves nonfiction and you're moving into poetry and they're a little trepidation, and then you find an informational poetry book and all of a sudden they start to see, wow, I could try something slightly different but still have what comforts and what I love. So we're thinking a lot about how to use books to engage kids, but also to allow them to find themselves in their own voice in the instructional journey throughout the year.
1: I want to go back a little bit to access again. You write early on in the book, and, and even Jen Saravala mentions your work in, in her introduction, that access for low-income families is one of the biggest crises that we face in education. Can you talk a little bit about why that is such an important crisis and why we need to be talking more about this?
0: When we think about giving all kids access and equity, we have to think about how many books we have in the classroom. And it's essential that we think about in our in our schools that service lower-income students, they do not have as many books as some of the other schools. And so it makes such a difference in a child's life to be able to read and to have those books and not only have them at school, but to also transfer them and have them at home and bring those books back and forth between home and school. And so if we can change that, we can really help change literacy for kids. 넣ers and see it.
2: Our experience has shown that a lot of these kids don't have as many books at home either. And the public libraries don't always have the same hours that other towns do. So even getting to the library and getting access that way has been hard. In rural communities, getting to the library can be hard. It's not something that you pass on the way home. So it's really been something we've noticed and thought a lot about in our work and trying to help schools figure out summer programs for kids to get books in, in their homes or in their hands, some way, one way or the yeah. other, to make that happen. Because it's just, it's a big difference, not only in in the classrooms but and then also when they're going home.
0: In the last chapter we write about digital resources and mm-hmm. we think there's a huge opportunity in digital resources. Whether we, we like it or not, um, <laughs> many families have digital devices now, many more than than in the past years. And so digital devices give an opportunity because kids can get free access to books via the library Mm -hmm. without ever going, right? And lots of wonderful websites for kids to read and enjoy. And that's a a big portion of access that we want to think about and embrace in classrooms and outside the classroom.
2: And empowering for kids. You know, we're seeing kids with digital devices now taking ownership, not waiting for someone to get them a book. They now know how to get it themselves and they want that, or even look something up and learn how to do something. So I think there's a real power. I think we went back and forth on that last yes, chapter because um, the feel <laughs> of a book in your hand is something magic to both yeah. of us. But as we now watch young readers, I think they're getting that same feeling from a device and for them, the access can't beat it. Something
1: else you've, you've really focused a lot of time on is the miss understanding around levels and that's something you're very passionate about can you kind of talk a little bit about where the misunderstanding is at and where and where you stand on on the levels issue
2: yeah, and we're thinking, especially from an emergent reader perspective, the levels are really important. <laughs> right? So we're a little worried. Um, we've spent a lot of the beginning of our career making sure that kids were reading books they could read. We met too many kids who were sitting in front of books that they couldn't access in terms of decoding and comprehension. And a big shift we made was making sure that kids got books that they could read in their hands and lots of them. Right? Allington's research that shows the importance of reading books that you can read. And you take teachers who are trying to teach 25, 26 little yeah. friends who can't read, and they're trying to know that and empower kids to make choices. I, I think the solution made a lot of sense. They tried to organize their libraries mm-hmm. by pointing kids in a direction to say, hey, pick any of the 45 books I have in these two baskets. Mm-hmm. And to keep things organized in a way we like to in classrooms, we labeled those baskets with levels so that we could keep track of where kids were getting books. And it sounded like a great system.
0: But there are some unintended consequences, right? <laughs> so, of course, children, right, the level they see on the basket sticks with them, and thus then they start to identify themselves as that mm. level. And there's no, you know, there's no intention of people like, want to identify children with a level or a label. And so thus, we're thinking that if you change the label on the basket, but keep some of those books in the basket at that similar text complexity, especially for our early Mm -hmm. and emergent readers, then kids can find the books they want, but they're not looking based first on level. So for example, I could have a basket that says, you know, funny books, right? Or I could have a basket that says realistic fiction and kids can think, oh, what do I want to read right now, right? What kind of book do I want? They can think that first, then go to a basket that has levels within it that is a support for them so that they're not identifying themselves as a level. They're Mm -hmm. identifying themselves as a reader who likes this. But they need to find something that they can read.
2: We find that small change has really shifted the way they're talking about themselves as Mm -hmm. readers. And that's what we think is most important. I think what was most upsetting to many of us was when kids say, well, I'm a C and I'm an E. And and I think what they're saying is, those are the books I read, right? Because that's where my cubby's labeled, the Mm -hmm. scissors are labeled, everything in the classroom is labeled. So when someone says, what kind of books do you read? They were talking about the basket was labeled with. It's just that label doesn't stick with you for a lifetime so putting on titles as Tammy's suggesting that stick with you for a lifetime like funny adventurous authors genres but still making sure that text complexity for our younger readers is there we think is essential the instructional tool of the level is really important as a teacher for the kids to begin to access books that have the right amount of supports and challenges so that we can help kids begin to love reading, Mm -hmm. because we do think lifelong readers do consider whether or not they can read it. So we're trying to broaden how a reader chooses a book and making accessibility one part of it, but not making it the only part of it.
1: It's honoring the choice. and and Exactly.
0: Right. We're really trying to make sure that kids understand how a reader chooses a book in a very authentic way, Mm -hmm. but then in our younger grades, giving more support to how to pick that book so that they're feeling. Also, we want them to know that when you read a book, it makes you feel strong as a reader. You can read it. You can understand it. You can laugh. Mm -hmm. You can be surprised. That's the feeling we want them to have. So we want to balance those two pieces.
1: From the moment I started reading the book, there was an urgency to be mindful about inclusivity. That plays into the theme of access, but you both feel strongly, and it was an area where you had to do some learning on. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that was important to you and, and why it stands out?
0: We did, and we want books in all of all schools and all classrooms that reflect the learners in those rooms and invite them to learn about other learners right? and um, experience what other people experience. And so how do you find the balance between those two things, and how do you help readers and classroom teachers and build libraries that are diverse, with the diverse population in front of them.
2: Having a growth mindset in doing that, because I think in some of the conversations, honestly, we had to grow and learn. Um, Often people would ask us, and we did give lists. We'd give lists of books, lists of series that had diverse characters, um, and we would list them. And right. through the journey of writing the book, we've received feedback and learned and grow and talked to a lot of people who started to say, actually, that's not the best way to go about doing this. We made a lot of changes. We did. <laughs> right up into the end and thinking about rather than making lists, making sure these books are in it every basket. Mm. Rather than being a shelf, it's pervasive across all genres, across all structures, rather than just an author, making sure those authors are in every basket.
0: We wanted to make sure that also there was a figure in the book that helped people to find resources. Mm. And so on those online resources, you'll see it shows how to find books when you're looking for any type of diversity that you can find some of the books that you need. And those resources have really helped us. And I think we'll continue to have that list grow and change as we learn more.
2: We're excited. It's an online resource, so it can change. (laughs) I think the one thing we learned is we're constantly learning in this area, and there's so many people who are now sharing thoughts, and the dialogue is here, Mm -hmm. and we want that dialogue to remain open so we can all continue to know better, do better, and to to make changes as we learn more. It's an exciting part of the book that we can make those changes.
1: Tammy and Claire want this book to impact the lives of teachers and students directly, so they are donating all author royalties it generates to the Book Love Foundation. Book Love is a not-for-profit organization founded by Penny Kittle with one goal, to put books in the hands of teenagers. Tammy and Claire's book will now expand that goal and put books into the hands of elementary and middle grade students as well. My thanks to Tammy and Claire for their time today. Their new book is It's All About the Books, How to Create Book Rooms and Classroom Libraries That Inspire Readers and it's available now from Heinemann.com. You can read a sample chapter on our website, and we invite you to follow Claire and Tammy on Twitter, at Claire and Tammy. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann Podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or review. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.